ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Mark Kohlbrugger, the founder of Betalist and many, many other products, and we're going to talk about executing on product ideas today. This episode is brought to you by Balsamic, rapid wireframing software that combines the comfort and simplicity of paper sketching with the power of a digital tool, so your work is easier to share, revise, and get honest feedback on. Try their new web app, Balsamic Cloud, free for 30 days at balsamic.cloud. Hey, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Thank you, doing great. Thank you so much for making the time for us today. Sure, thanks for having me. So we're going to start with a short uh, Blitz questionnaire and then dive into the main topic. How does it sound? Yeah, sounds good. Let's go. Fantastic. Question number one is, what do you do for a living? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm the founder of a few different internet products. Uh, I think the most well-known is Betalist, betalist.com which is a overview of up-and-coming internet startups. Uh, yeah, and I'm the founder and the developer and designer of that. I have one colleague, uh, Rabia, who helps me with uh, daily operations. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's, where, that's what I spend most of my time on. But then I have a few other products I work on as well. You have like six products on your Twitter profile. I just counted them. <laughs> There's probably you one should... in the Twitter bio. All right, so you have to give us a brief overview of each. Okay, um, I don't have, actually have that list uh, in front of me, but I can, uh, I, have few, I have it in my head probably, maybe in a different order. Uh, so we have <laughs> beta lists, which I already mentioned. Uh, then we have uh, something called faces, getfaces.com, which is a simple tool to create a visual overview of a community and i'm also working on uh, slack integration so if you are a business with uh, a slack team uh, faces will make it very easy to create a team directory of your team so you have like a easy overview of everyone that's working on your company in your company mm -hmm. uh, so that's faces then we have uh, submit.co which is an overview of all the places where you can submit your startup to get free publicity. Uh, and I kind of started that because uh, I saw a lot of people visited beta lists uh, via a list like that. They might read uh, an article that's like uh, 10 places to submit your startup and then beta list would be one of them. And I was like, oh, maybe I should create like the definitive resource of all those startup directories and I could put beta list on top. So that's pretty much what uh, submit.co is. It's an overview of all those startup directories and tech publications. Uh, um, then we have uh, something I've been working on recently a lot uh, called uh, Work in Progress or WIP or WIP Chat. Uh, the domain is WIP, uh, W-I-P dot chat. That's an overview. That's, sorry, that's not an overview. That's uh, a community of makers uh, building and shipping together. So it's uh, it's a Slack group. With, uh, sorry, it's a Telegram group. Uh, I didn't have enough coffee uh, today, I think. It's uh, <laughs> it's a chat group of makers. 
building on, on their products, uh, mostly software or online products. And we kind of keep each other motivated to keep focus on shipping. So don't think too much about the idea. Just uh, go for it and iterate. And so it's a chat group where we discuss uh, things. But then there's also this uh, web component uh, where you kind of build up a profile of all the things you've been doing, all the progress you've been making. So we share the to-dos we have for our products. So maybe uh, we say like, okay, I want to add this feature uh, or I want to fix this bug or I want to reach out to this potential customer. Um, and then you share those to-dos in the group and people can see when you completed to-do. So it's very motivating to see all these people, all these makers uh, making progress, completing their to-dos. Uh, and maybe if you are a little bit uh, slow on a specific to-do, maybe someone points that out and you can discuss what's blocking you from uh, completing it. Um, so that's WebChat. What other other products do you see in my uh, biography? Okay, changelog.co. Ah, right. So that's something that's been on hold for maybe a little bit over a year now uh, because I work on so many things. I can't work on everything at the same time. And I think I kind of lost interest with that um, for the time being. But I think it's pretty self-explanatory, the name. It's uh, software as a service to create a changelog for your product. So the reason you might want to do that is to communicate with your customers uh, which new features uh, you've been working on, uh, important security uh, patches, uh, bug fixes. Um, so you don't always want to like send out an email. Like If you have a ba- major new feature for your product, yeah, then you probably want to send out an email. But other times you might just want to give a very subtle way of uh, informing your customers that you're continuously improving the product. And so with changelog.co, it's very easy to uh, create a public changelog for your product. Any others? Okay, the last one, request for startup.co. Ah, yeah. So that one is, um, that was a a shorter product or like a simpler product. So something I've noticed uh, people doing on Twitter is... um, they come up with ideas for products or they they run into a problem and they want someone to build a solution for it. So they might tweet out the idea or like a potential solution. Uh, and then they add the hashtag request for startup or request for product. And that's kind of something that's that has been happening for a few years. I don't know really who started it, but it has become something that people just do. And I figured... <laughs> uh, like why not create an overview of all those different requests? So if you are a maker and you're not sure what to build, uh, you can uh, browse through a list of things people supposedly want. Um, and then because it's Twitter, people tend to retweet or like, uh, like a tweet like that if they agree. So you're able to sort or rank those ideas uh, by popularity. So that's what request for startup.co uh, does. It just well, gathers all the different tweets with that hashtag. Um, and then it ranks it by uh, popularity. So basically every retweet is a vote or every like is a vote. And then you can see the most popular requests uh, all time 
um, or you can see more recent ones. Uh, and we have this view, which is kind of in the middle. It's like popular, but also recent. So uh, it's kind of like uh, maybe like Product Hunt does or Hacker News or Reddit. It's like you don't, you don't see just the newest and you don't see just the top ideas, but you see kind of like the recent popular ones. Sounds great. So that is a huge product portfolio. What is your personal background story behind that? Um, how far back do you want to go? Uh, as far as you want. Some people go back to high school. Some people go back to college years. <laughs> yeah, I think if you would have asked me, um, like when I was a kid, people always ask, like, what do you want to be later when you grow up? And I, uh, <laughs> I had this phase where I always said, like, I want to become an inventor. Um, and I think that's still true today. I really like creating things like coming up with ideas and then, uh, making them a reality. I don't know why, but that's something I just really enjoy going from idea to reality. Uh, and also this notion that everything around you, uh, like maybe the chair you're sitting on and the desk you're using and like the place you're in and all the little objects around you. Those are all thought of by someone or multiple people at some point, And then they were created, like they were kind of forced into existence. And to me, that's mm -hmm. a really powerful idea that you can really shape and build the world we're living in. Um, and so that's something I would just really like doing. So going from that idea to something that becomes real. And like the things I make are usually like online. So they're not very tangible. Uh, like they're, they are like kind of stuck in your screen, like this two dimensional, uh, <laughs> world. uh, but they can have like a real impact on, on people. Uh, so in that sense, they are very real. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know where that comes from, but I just enjoy, Yeah, building stuff. Like as a kid, I always was building stuff with uh, Lego. Or I don't know what, what you call it, Legos, Lego. We have a lot of Lego. Yeah. My kids are playing with it a lot. <laughs> it's fun, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so at some point I discovered that you can basically instruct the computer to do what you want it to do. Actually, I think maybe the first time I really started coding... I'm not really coding yet, but there, there was this game. Um, and this was back in like the MS-DOS uh, era. Right. So mm -hmm. kind of before Windows or like during Windows 3.11, I think. Uh, but there was this game uh, my friends and I were playing. I don't even remember what the game was. I just remember that I was bad at it. Um, but I noticed there was this file called High Scores that's... I and I, and I was like, hmm, maybe that's where all the high scores are stored, you know? So right. I just tried something. Like, I I didn't know what I was doing, but I tried, I typed edit space and then the name of the file, like high scores, that, that's I and I. And I opened this text editor where I could edit the scores. So you could see the name and like the score. And I was like, hey, this is interesting. So I put my own name in there. With like a very high score 
uh, and then I saved it. I don't even know like how I figured out how to save it, but I just I just tried some stuff. And then I opened the game and then I looked for the high scores, and there uh, there I was like on the top of the list. Uh, I think that's called hacking. That's called that's hacking. Called hacking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I was like maybe like uh, eleven or something like that. Um, but to me, that's yeah, it's not totally coding, but it's kind of it kind of felt like that. You're changing text, and then some something else somewhere else in this this game, uh, you see the result of that. Um, and now that I think of it, that's actually very similar to a recent product I made where you pay uh, to be in a high score. I didn't mention this product before, but it's like high score that money. I don't know if you've seen it. No, definitely not. Uh, that's something I, I built like last year. It's called high score that money. That's the URL. And it's really just a high score list, like a leaderboard with names and scores. And the, uh, the way you earn a score in the leaderboard is just by paying me. So if you pay me $10, your score is 10. And if you pay me $50, your score is 50. Um, oh. And so I think the highest score is 222. <laughs> uh, but Jason. So anybody can participate with 223, right? Yeah, I mean, you can also uh, participate with a lower score, but then you won't be at the. Uh, first place um and the idea there was kind of like there, there are all these games that are paid to play uh like yeah all, all these games in the app store and then you have to buy coins and then with those coins you can like uh, level up your character or whatever but basically what you're doing you're like you're paying to get the coin so you're paying to get a higher score so i was like why not get, cut out the middleman and you just pay for your score directly uh, but that I, I had to think of that because we were talking about this uh, high score thing. I added it back when I was a child. Uh, I, I guess maybe it's a little bit similar to what I recently uh, or like last year created. So you're one of those dangerous people who have the training for both programming and design uh, to make things happen online as fast as possible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, can't keep comparing you to Josh Pickford because he has both, both as well. But really, really, I envy you guys, both of you. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's all about like priorities. I think like if you like, I wouldn't call myself a great designer or a great developer. And maybe if I would have chosen one or or the other, then maybe I might have been one of those, like a great designer or a great developer. But I kind of chose to do a little bit of both. So that, those are different trade-offs, right? Like if you want to uh, become a developer as well, then you would need to start investing some time in that, which might mean you would uh, spend less time honing your design skills. So it's, yeah, it's all about the trade-offs you want to make. Absolutely. What does your typical day look like? Um. I- I don't know. So something I haven't mentioned yet is that uh, like two months ago, I I gave up my apartment in the Netherlands to start traveling. Uh, I happen to be back in the Netherlands right now because it's like holidays and like uh, I turned 30 like a few days ago. So I went. 
Oh, <laughs> congratulations. You. Yeah, so, so I wanted to celebrate that uh, in the Netherlands and then like just like some other birthdays uh, this month. So that's why I'm back in uh, the Netherlands right now. But so I, I kind of uh, travel around a little bit. So in that sense, it can be difficult to have a real routine. But I think I also try not to have a routine. Like I, I don't really like structure or I don't like to have uh, things scheduled in advance. So you asked me like, what does a typical day look like? Well, I wake up when, when I wake up. Uh, <laughs> so I have different phases, but like lately I wake up like uh, late morning. So maybe around 10 or 11. Um, and then I have like uh, breakfast and a shower and coffee. And then it depends on the day. Some days uh, while I'm like, if I'm working on a product and I know exactly what I want to work on, like if I'm working on a specific feature, then I just uh, continue working on that feature. Other days, uh, I might be like, uh, oh, I haven't checked my email in like weeks. Or like I, or I know <laughs> there's like a lot of email waiting for me and I might, I might be like, okay, maybe today will be like a less productive day and I will just do emails and like uh, paperwork and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I kind of just do what I feel like doing. So if I feel really focused and I want to really work on like this specific feature or I feel like coding, then I'll do that and I won't open my email. If I already feel distracted, then I might as well like do those standard type of tasks like email, etc. Um, and then I just keep working until I don't feel like working. And then maybe I'll, I, I try to find an excuse to, uh, to go for a walk every day because like, I don't have to walk to work. Like I just work wherever. Um, so I always try to find an excuse like to, to do some grocery shopping or to like work at like a coffee shop or something like that. Um, yeah. And that, yeah. That sounds all too familiar. It sounds all too familiar. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I have like a typical, uh, work day really. Like some days I don't work. Like if I, if I want to hang out with friends, then I just focus on that, you know, like I, I leave my uh, laptop at home and I try not to uh, check my email on my phone. And, um, yeah, so for me, that works really well. I can imagine for people that work directly with clients, like if you're a freelancer or, or you work uh, within a team and you have to, uh, uh, how do you say, if you have to communicate a lot with people, then you need to figure out uh, ways to stay uh, yeah, stay connected, you know. But for me, I have a colleague, but we can kind of work independently from each other. That's the best thing. That's like my ideal setup. I do have more obligations mm -hmm. than you because I have client work from time to time. But still, like the best calendar is an empty calendar. Right, like <laughs> yeah. my calendar is the almost power. completely empty. Like I always, I try to keep it empty. Like today... I happen to have two things uh, on it, like this, uh, this Skype call, and I had to get like, uh, what do you call it, like vaccines for traveling. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, I think my uh, calendar is completely open this week, 
and next week the same. Uh, like whenever I see someone's calendar that's like completely filled, I get like anx- anxious, you know, like, <laughs> but like for other people, it might be <laughs> fine. Like they want to have everything scheduled in advance so they know what to expect and uh, they can prepare for stuff. Uh, so I think it really depends on your personality and the type of work you do. But uh, yeah, for me, like you say, like an open calendar is the best calendar. What do you enjoy the most and the least about your work? Um, so as I mentioned, I really like uh, making ideas come to life. So like that moment when you see that something works. So for me, that's often like at night, like I might have an idea in the evening and then I prototype it until like uh, late at night or early morning. And then at some point it just works. Uh, that's very gratifying. Um, and nowadays with uh, WIP or, or work in progress, it's very gratifying to see um, people become more productive because of this community recreated. So whenever I get like get feedback from uh, from people that say like uh, I found it really difficult to ship products, or like I always had this fear of like launching uh, this thing I've been working on, but now with this community, I'm uh, I'm making all this progress and it feels really good. Like that's very uh, gratifying, of course. Um, And maybe things I don't like as much are like there's, there are always things you have to do that you don't necessarily want to do. Like I really like coding and designing and that kind of stuff. But then you also have to do like paperwork, like uh, taxes and uh, sending invoices and um Yeah, kind of all these things that to me don't really feel like provide much value, but they are kind of necessary like to keep the business running uh, and to keep like the tax authorities happy. And uh, I, I, <laughs> so I think anytime I have to deal with the old world, uh, like, like you can't really escape from it. Uh, that that's those are things like I'm very spoiled that those are the things that are that I don't like. Like I bet other people have like way worse things to deal with, but for me it's like all these things that are very inefficient uh, and that I can't optimize. Like I always try to optimize my processes, but like if you have to deal with other uh, bigger organizations, that's it's not always possible. Um. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have a question specifically for you. You seem to be like the heart of the uh, community, of the product community, and uh, participating and building your own communities definitely requires, you know, your own participation there. Doesn't that eat up into your into your freedom, into your open schedule? Uh, because it does require, you know, answers to people's messages and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Uh... With beta lists, uh, Rabia, my colleague, takes care of most of the, like what I would call a like, customer support uh, inquiries. So mm-hmm. those are typically very concrete questions uh, about how how beta list works. 
Um, and then, of course, you also have all the type of types of questions of like maybe fellow entrepreneurs that might be asking for advice. Um, and yeah, to me, it feels more like uh, like chatting with a friend. So it doesn't like yeah, it eats up like my time during the day maybe, but it doesn't feel like uh, an obligation. Um, like just like if you're texting with a friend, it doesn't really feel like an obligation either. So for me, it's more like if I have to like create an invoice or change like an address on an invoice or stuff stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that really <laughs> feels like an obligation, and I try to like delegate that or eliminate that uh, if possible. Um, but then with uh, Whip uh, WebChat, it's um, it's kind of like the community itself that keeps each other engaged. So I'm, of course, part of it as well, and I'm, I'm talking with people. And especially when it comes to new members, I try to. Uh, help them get started and introduce, get introduced to the community, especially because uh, I think it's a pretty tight community right now with some, uh, what do you call it, like in-jokes uh, and some memes. And then if you are new to it, it might be a little bit uh, difficult to feel part of it, uh, even though like everyone is very welcoming. Um, but so I, tr I try to help there, but... Um, yeah, I think we, I don't know how or why, but the members of the community uh, tend to be very welcoming. So, yeah. What is your next big thing? Um, yeah, so uh, the, the most exciting thing I've been working on recently is, is WIP. Um, so again, it's work in progress. Uh, it is a work in progress and it's also called work in progress. <laughs> and I don't know if it's, if it's going to be the next big thing, but it's uh, something that I'm really excited about. Uh, like it's still pretty small, like on, like on paper we have like uh, 700 or 800 registered uh, users, but maybe there's like a hundred people that are active, but the people that are active, they are like very active and they are very positive uh, about the product because they are all makers. And I think for makers, one of the most important, important things in your life besides family, etc., is like uh, actually making something and actually shipping uh, your ideas, like shipping your product. And that's something people are now doing uh through our chat. So every day, um, I think around 150 tasks are completed that are shared. Mm -hmm. uh, I think like last week, we had a re record week of 975 tasks that people completed uh, and shared uh, with each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so people kind of during the day, like while they're working, while they're coding or designing or writing, they have the chat open. Uh, and whenever they read a, hit a roadblock, uh, they open the chat and they ask for help. Or if they feel 
unmotivated, they might jump into into the chat, or when they feel distracted, maybe they jump into the chat to help other people. Uh, and if you just focus, you you close the chat. Um, but yeah, so that I don't know how big it it can be become, but uh, it is really exciting. And um, for the people that currently use it, I think it's very helpful. And it has been very helpful. Sounds for me great. As well. It looks like you also have already solved the main problem that happens with such community products, which is building the community itself. Yeah, so that's kind of, like I did. I didn't start it. Didn't start it as uh, with this vision of like uh, building a big community. It was just it started as a simple chat, and then more and more people joined it. And then I was like, eh, maybe we should make it possible to share what you're working on. So I created this. Uh, telegram bots where you can share your to-dos and then i was like okay maybe you should have like a profile page with all your completed to-dos and then people started asking like hey can we link our products to it somehow so you have an overview per product so you kind of have a change log as well for your product uh, so it came out very organically like i had a similar ideas like this many years ago but uh I tried them the wrong way. Like I started top down. So I, I designed like this whole website with all these different features and then I pushed it online and then I didn't have any users yet, but then it was already too complicated for new users to start using it. But now we're starting <laughs> with a simple chat. Like okay. everyone understands how, it, how chat works. And if you have a few interesting early members that are helpful and willing to help out other members, uh, then that can grow organically quite quickly. And you have this very quick uh, feedback loop because you can talk to your, in my, in my case, they are my customers, the users. Uh, I can talk to them throughout the day and I can get feedback immediately. Yeah, just by discussing your projects, we already have a good insight into how you like things happening, which is act on ideas fast, iterate yeah. quick, <laughs> um, get feedback fast and so on. So yeah, forth. exactly. Like, and it took me a while to understand this. Like, uh, I thought you had to come up with this big vision and then you build it. And of course you want it to be perfect because you don't want people to make fun of your products. Like, uh, and like your, your imagination is always one step ahead of the reality. So whatever product you're working on, you're already thinking a few steps ahead, which is fine. But that also means as a maker, you feel like your product is never finished because whatever you have today, you're already thinking of tomorrow. So I, I kept falling into this trap of like postponing the launch of the product and just adding this one more thing, you know, uh, but then before you know it, like you're one year later and you still haven't launched this product. And now you're like super invested in making it succeed because you have invested all this time and maybe even some money. Uh, and then it has to succeed, right? So you invest even more time before you launch it. Uh, but all the while, you still don't have gotten any feedback from customers. So, um, yeah, so what I do nowadays is try to launch it as quickly as possible, as simple as possible uh, and iterate in public with actual customer feedback. The whole idea of executing on the uh, product idea seems to be 
a very big one for you. You have a huge blog post series, which has like mm-hmm. three chapters and it may be more coming. <laughs> oh. Is that because you have so many products in your portfolio and you're a product builder? Or is that because you, as a community founder, you have you get to observe so many products that fail to actually well, launch? I think why I'm so uh, interested in the process of like turning an idea into a reality is because for a long time I was pretty bad at it. Like there's also Raya wrote those articles. They were actually my uh, thesis when I was a student. And so, yeah, so this oh, was, uh, they are mm-hmm. quite old now. Like they are, I don't know, maybe like five years old or something like that, which in internet times is pretty old, maybe they're even older. I don't know. But anyway, when I was, before I wrote those, uh, I realized I kind of had like a problem where I kept coming up with new ideas, but I never finished them. So I might come up with a new idea for a website or or something like that. And I might even start building it a little bit. But then a few weeks in, I would come up with this new, even better idea in my mind. And I would abandon the current one and start this new thing. And so that kept going on for like maybe a few years. Um, and at some point I realized that wasn't very fulfilling. So initially that idea phase was very interesting, but I started to realize that all those ideas I had, they just stayed ideas and they never become, became a reality. So I got like a new idea and I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't even try it because I already know I'm not going to finish it. But that's a very bad uh, perspective to have. So that's, that's why I wrote uh, I did the <laughs> research of like, okay, how, sh- how should I uh, execute on my ideas and how can I actually finish them? So I did this research. Like I, I read a lot about it, about from all these different creative people that actually got a lot uh, achieved in our life. Um, and that's kind of where those articles are, are based on, like all the research I did. Um, and I kind of came up with this model of, how you can turn an idea into reality uh, step by step. And um, yeah, I'm still not perfect at it. Like uh, early on, we talked about changelog.co, which I think I would say it's like 90% uh, done for launch, but I've never really launched it. Uh, And I think that's, Mm -hmm. I think there was this, uh, threshold. I don't know if you call it a threshold, but if you spend too much time on something, uh, like after a certain amount of time or investment you've made, you kind of feel like you have to go all the way, uh, to launch it. Like with, uh, with some more recent products, it, I didn't really feel invested. So I just maybe uh, build a prototype in a night and then I could, uh, launch it the next day and if it failed it was okay because it's just a quick prototype but i think for me if i spend more than a few months on something or even maybe just a few weeks i feel like okay now it's something serious so now if i'm gonna launch it i should launch it the right way but that's a very risky perspective because like i said then you start fine-tuning things that maybe don't need fine-tuning um so that's, that still happens to me occasionally. 
but I'm getting better at it. So you mentioned uh, with all your research and experience, you came up with a certain uh, step-by-step approach. Would you would you recite it for our listeners uh, briefly? The steps that you recommend to follow while um, building a new product. I don't know if you can recite the steps uh, because it's so long ago. But I think the the biggest insights I've had while doing the research is that there is no clear distinction between an idea and the execution of it. I used to think like there is this idea phase and this implementation phase, or that you could even like come up with an idea and have someone else execute on it. Uh, but I, I now don't believe in that anymore. I think it's, uh, it's just different places in like a continuum where you start very abstract uh, with this thought you have. But the moment you verbalize an idea, you're already starting to implement it uh, because you're choosing the words and you're choosing uh-huh. which words not to use. And you're choosing whether to explain your idea in words or uh, by visualizing it, maybe with a wireframe. And so um, the more you work on it, the more concrete it becomes until it becomes the actual product. But just no clear... Um, distinction between okay now i'm gonna turn the idea into reality i think it's a very gradual thing and to me for me that really helps uh, that insight because it meant that just verbalizing the idea by verbalizing the idea i already have started on executing on it and you want to keep going of course like you you don't you don't just want to like talk about your idea uh, the whole time because then it's kind of stuck in just talking about it um but yeah, so uh, I, I don't really know the steps anymore. Like maybe one other thing I learned is that I really liked coming up with new ideas, which worked against me, but it can actually work for you. Like <laughs> if you try to come up with new ideas that help move your current idea forward. So to make it more concrete, um, like maybe you don't like doing marketing, so maybe you are like your product is ready, but now you need to start promoting it. Uh, and maybe you start coming up with new ideas to work on because you don't feel like working on the marketing. Okay. So yeah. Very, very so familiar. Maybe you can, yes. <laughs> so you can try to fight that, but you can also try to come up with ideas that help you market your product. So beta list, for example, uh, I started as a way to market another product of mine. Like I was working on a iPad application, um, like an e-reader where you could read a book and you could exchange notes with other readers uh, of the same book all across the world. Uh, and we needed beta testers for it. So, I, I mean, I did try it a little bit. I, I did tried to write to TechCrunch and some other publications, but it was not something I enjoyed doing. I didn't know how to do it. Like I knew how to build a product, but I didn't know how to do PR outreach. So what I came up with was BetaList, just a simple overview of up and coming internet startups that need a beta testers. So I actually built BetaList to promote my own uh, application. And I still had to email TechCrunch, but now I had this very concrete um, 
pitch because before we had this iPad application, which was not in the app store yet. And like, we didn't even have screenshots or like a video or anything. But with Betalist, I had this simpler page, which was just a link like, hey, we have an overview of up and coming internet startups that need beta testers. Uh, maybe it's interesting for the TechCrunch audience. So that was very easy to pitch. And then TechCrunch wrote about it. And then I put uh, my uh, iPad application on top uh, on the beta list page. So I was able to get a lot of TechCrunch visitors visiting beta list, ultimately visiting that iPad application. And so we got a lot of beta testers to, through uh, TechCrunch. So that's an example of, uh, in this case, very uh, concretely like using your product building skills and idea skills to do your marketing. Uh, for example, uh, Alex uh, Yumashev mm-hmm. of uh, Jitbit was one of the guests here at the podcast. One of his favorite ways of marketing is actually building small right. yeah. site projects, free tools. Uh, placed on the same domain name, um, just with right. like a slash something, um, that drive traffic to the big tool. So that sounds like a perfect yeah, implementation like, of like your Like I idea. mentioned before, uh, submit.co, the overview of all those startup directories, that's also marketing for beta list. So I could have done like content mm-hmm. marketing and write about uh, how to pitch your startup, etc. But I'm not much of a writer. Uh, but I am a builder, like so. I could create like this overview, uh, which works as well. It's also marketing. So, yeah. So if you have a lot of ideas and you like building stuff and you don't like maybe doing promotion or marketing, uh, try to come up with products that help you market uh, your main product. There are many, uh, you know, frameworks uh, or methods of getting started with new products. Um, I can, you can probably use like them all, all of them together. Some of them are, I like this one. You know, write the sales mm-hmm. page for the product first, uh, and not even, maybe not even put it yeah. up, but write it for yourself as a way of uh, visualizing, writing down the idea. Another one is putting together a site as quick quickly as possible with an mm-hmm. uh, email sign-up uh, form to collect, uh, start collecting sign-ups. Another one uh, includes doing a lot of right. early customer interviews. Another one includes doing sales safari, which is passive research, which is a method by Amy Hoy. And like all of them are great. Which, which methods do you practice and um, preach? I think it's important to understand your customers before you start building uh, a product. Like more specifically, you want to understand the problem you're trying to solve. And so I don't know if it's a method, but I think you should be very selective about uh, who you build products for. So I think for a lot of people, it's difficult to talk to customers because they're like, okay, where do I find them? Or like, why would they talk to me? Like, I don't want to sell them something, especially if I don't have anything to sell yet. Like, and so what works best for me is to uh, build products for people I already talk with. So rather than saying like, talk to your customers, I would say uh, build something for people you already talk to. And I don't know if that's always good advice because 
like you might and might end up building only for other makers, which is kind of what I'm doing, but it's a very crowded market space <laughs> because obviously a lot of makers are building stuff for other makers. Um, but if you have maybe other hobbies besides building products, uh, try to see if they have any problems you could uh, help them with. But yeah, so talk to your customers or build for people you already uh, talk to anyway. Um, and then something that I uh, do personally is I try to build a prototype really quickly. And that's because that's something I enjoy doing. And I think um, for me, that's often faster than uh, yeah, doing too much research. So I, I, I could build a prototype <laughs> like in a weekend or like in a long late night, uh, depending on what it is. But like typically I try to focus on ideas that I can prototype quickly. Um, so that works for me. But if you don't have technical skills, for example, and you would need to hire someone or you would need to work together with other people, then maybe you want to do some more research upfront uh, because maybe that that's easier or quicker for you than uh, like coming up with a plan to build something and then talking to your team about it. And uh, yeah, I think you kind of have to uh, see what what your specific skill sets are and what method works best for you. But for me, like prototyping is something I enjoy doing and I'm pretty pretty quick at. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for example. We are doing userlist.io right now with my awesome mm -hmm. two co-founders. And we, of course, we're doing an extensive round of research right now. But at the same time, I have, I do have a solid feeling that we know, like, what we're going to start with because the very bare minimum product is probably something that you are not going to change based on research. You can figure out new features, right. for example. Uh, but generally speaking, like you just want to ship something really fast. That is the best strategy. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, again, like it depends on the product. Like if you are going to like start a new type of online bank or something, uh, or like, uh, like if it's about uh, very private information, like you might want to be more careful about like your prototypes and stuff. Uh, but typically I would say like, Nowadays, it's so easy and quick to build something, like to build something rough, like a prototype. Uh, yeah, it's, that seems mm -hmm. like the way to go nowadays. Also, uh, I'd like to mention uh, some things as, for example, Bullet Train, a framework oh, yeah. by Andrew Culver, one of my friends, which should probably streamline the process of creating web apps even more. And I'm sure he's not alone in his you know, attempts of creating a good, fast framework. Yeah, I think you want to choose your uh, tools. Uh, I mean, it, again, it depends on what you want. Like my uh, expertise, I think, is building something quick. But that doesn't mean necessarily I can also build something scalable and like that works well long term. Uh, but yeah, I think Bullet Train is based on Rails. Do you know? Yeah, I think I so think as well. So. And I think Rails is really, uh, if anyone is like considering a programming language, then Ruby on Rails, uh, I think is a very good candidate if you want to be able to prototype quickly. So Rails already has some built-in 
uh, tools that help you easily. Uh, they call it scaffolding. Like basically every product you can think of, but maybe that's generalizing it too much. But a lot of products are just what they call CRUD, C-R-U-D products. So mm-hmm. that means mm-hmm. create, read, update, or destroy. So like anything you can think of is usually just a CRUD product. Like if you start like uh, a meetup dot com type of website or like a calendar or like uh, or like a project management software usually what you're doing is like you're creating items or posts or whatever you're updating them you're uh, showing them and you're like deleting them and so with rails it's very easy to create that scaffolding to uh, allow you to do those four actions um, and then with Bullet Train, I think it looks even nicer and it works a little bit better. I don't know the details of uh, of, of all the features it has. Um, but yeah, there are some tools out there like that that make it very quick to, to build build a prototype. Also, Bootstrap by Twitter, the, the template uh, thing. I personally am not a fan of what it looks like because I see it so often. Uh, but I think <laughs> it's better than... Then nothing. And like, if you're if you're a developer and you're not a designer, it might be a good way to uh, to start out. Um, yeah. As a designer, I can tell you can just merely switch out uh, the default font on Bootstrap yeah. to a different font. <laughs> maybe switch out colors a little bit, and you're gonna look completely bespoke. Okay. Well, maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's a better option than uh, than I thought then, but. But yeah, I think in general, like <laughs> tools like that can get you started very quickly. And also uh, things like uh, Zapier or Zapier, I think it's called Zapier mm-hmm. or If This Then That to automate uh, some parts of your uh, application like so you don't need any coding. Uh, like a lot of people nowadays are like starting with like a type form or like an air table spreadsheet kind of thing and they're like connecting it with Zapier do like the MailChimp, but like you can't create like very basic prototypes without any coding. There's there's even websites that showcase products um, that are made without code. I think it's there's like a website called Made Without Code. Really, that's amazing. I should probably check it out. That's great. It's a great piece of advice by itself because a lot of things can be validated with some, you know, mechanical Turk model when you just do things on hand yeah, for definitely. a while or when you use Zapier, just as you mentioned, but they have a whole website. That's amazing. Yeah, it's madewithoutcode.com and it's an overview of products that are made without code and also tools you can use uh, to create such products. So if you're not a, not a coder, uh, you can uh, still prototype stuff quite easily. One of the last questions for today. Uh, so the MVP, uh, for, for example, it can range quite a lot in terms of being, you know, pretty finished, non-finished, ugly, dysfunctional, or maybe uh, super functional. In in my philosophy, it should be very small, very limited in features, but kind of rounded and well-finished. What's your take? What does your typical MVP look like? Uh, I think my typical MVP looks a little bit different than how you described it. Uh, but <laughs> maybe that's because my... Uh, so my, my MVPs are often... Uh, 
overnight. overnight <laughs> and it's very clear that there are work in progress. Like maybe the homepage looks okay, but then some parts are totally not designed yet. So the HTML is there, but no CSS. Oh, uh, but that's, I, I think I can get away with it because I tend to target automakers. Uh, and so for me, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would, uh, would uh, suggest this or recommend this for everyone, but for this uh, whip thing I'm working on right now, it works really well. So maybe I add or I create an MVP or like I built a new feature for it. And uh, I just make sure it works functionally. Uh, and it's kind of clear how it's supposed to work. Uh, but there are a very... Uh, there are a lot of rough edges and a lot of things are not totally designed yet. And especially things where I'm like, okay, I might change, for example, the sign-up flow, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. So maybe it's a little bit crappy right now, but I'll come back to that later. And then when I start getting feedback from people, like the same thing, uh, people start saying the same thing, like, hey, uh, the login thing is broken or like it's very annoying or can you fix this? Like if I start getting the same thing over and over again, then I know like, okay, that's something I should fix. Um, but I don't. There is a philosophy about that. Something like we don't keep the bug list because people are our best reminders. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry for no, interrupting. That's, that's a good that. point. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good way to put it. But uh, you also have to be careful with it, of course, because maybe your signup uh, flow is like broken uh, and people never reach right. out to you. And then, so you kind of then right. have to look at the data maybe. So uh, you have to be selective about which parts, uh, you, you keep rough around the edges and which parts you really optimize. Uh, so with, with, with the current product, like I'm even not even focused on growing it. So that's why the sign of flow, like it's okay with me that it's not totally, uh, perfect yet. Like it also kind of serves as like a filter. Like if people, if people really want to like join the community, then they will be able to figure it out or they will like reach out to me. Uh, but if people are kind of like, ma, and like they don't really understand how they can sign up. Like, okay, yeah, right now I'm okay with that. Like I'm not trying to grow the community as quickly as possible. Uh, I'm trying to like provide as much value to the people that are already in the community. And then we can figure out uh, the scaling part later. Yeah, just as you mentioned, some imperfections can be a great filter of whether people actually need your solution, whether they actually have a problem. Right, yeah. Because we do optimize things, like we optimize for conversions, but if people really need their problem solved, they will find your sign-up button somewhere, inevitably, if you at least have it like once per page or something Yeah, I think we're often uh, optimizing for vanity as well, like especially if you're a designer, you're like, oh, I should like fix this, these rounded corners or whatever. Like, if if you really solve a pain point, then all that stuff doesn't really matter. Not as much as as you think it might. Um, yeah. So if if you have like yeah. a great value proposition and people are, can't sign up, like they will reach out to you and they're like, I really want to use your product, but I don't know how how can I get started. Like they will find a way. Um, so maybe like for an MVP, it might work for you that it's a little bit uh, crappy. And that's if people reach out to you personally, then you know, like, okay, people really want this. And it's also another opportunity to talk to, to them uh, directly. Um, I think that's actually often uh, 
like a nice benefit of MVPs that there's still a lot of manual work involved where you're talking to your customer directly. Um, especially if your onboarding is still, uh, yeah, not, not finished yet. You, you usually have to talk to your customer or you have to manually, uh, add them to the database or something like that. But early on, that's, that's great because it's another opportunity to talk to them and they even feel, uh, more invested or they feel more emotionally attached to your product because you have personally helped them with something, even though maybe it's your fault to start with that it's not automated yet. Yep. There was one hour or one of our discoveries from Usilist.io research that founders don't even bother about automating onboarding for the same exact reason that you described. Yeah. Like especially early on, like once you start getting like a ton of new uh, customers coming in, like then that might not be scalable. Like with Betalist, we get a lot of uh, startup submissions uh, coming in. Like early on, there were like a few a week and then I could handle those via email. And I could also quickly iterate uh, like what information I would ask for. Like maybe initially I would only ask for like the name of the startup and like the website URL and a short description. Uh, And then if someone provides maybe like too long of a description or something like that. We can have a back and forth about it. Uh, so that's great. But now we get so many submissions that we we have to automate it because we, we can't do it manually anymore. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. don't don't overlook the the value of like the manual process where where you can still do it, where it's still uh, uh, sustainable. Okay, one last question for today, but I can't uh, can't avoid it. When is the best time for charging for your new product? Um, I think as you get more experience building products and charging for it, you develop more of an intuition for it. And so maybe you can postpone it a little bit longer. But I think the longer you postpone charging for a product, the more risk you take because charging for your product, that's, that's the ultimate validation, of course, right? Like if people pay for your products, mm-hmm. then that usually means you're actually building something of value. And as, if people promise they will pay you or like they, they, they kind of use it without paying, like that's still no validation. So like always it depends but i would opt for charging as quickly as possible as soon as you provide value um like maybe even um if it's possible for the product you're considering building uh charge before you even have the product or ask like Uh, Are you willing to pay this amount for these types of features? Yes or no? Try to put it on paper maybe just so it's a little bit more official. Like um, even though maybe legally like it doesn't change the thing, like at least people think about it a little bit more. Um, So with my uh, like recent product faces, there were like a few people asking me like, hey, can you create like a people directory for us just like you have for your local community? I wish I just built for myself. And initially I was like, no, like it's not meant to be like a software as a service type product. It's just a page for my own community. Uh, But then more and more people started asking. So I was like, okay, if I can find five people that each are willing to pay $200, so that's like a year in advance for the service, uh, then I'll build it. 
So I started tweeting a little bit uh, about it, and like I really followed up with some people that asked uh, about this earlier. And I was able to find around five people that each were willing to pay $200 in advance for me to build it. So that's $1,000 uh, in pre-orders, pretty much, which, I mean, $1,000 is still not enough for me to build the product, but at least was some validation that people are willing to, to pay for something like this. Um, so in that case, I got paid before I actually had the, the product to offer. And it helps that I have like somewhat of a track record with delivering on products, like actually shipping them. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I think it, it's a risk thing. Like you don't want to invest too much time and money, uh, without the certainty that you will get the return on that investment. Absolutely. Mike, I think we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, even though I would spend like another two hours <laughs> about building your product. Uh, so where can people find your personal work and profiles online? I think on Twitter would be the easiest uh, because that's where you can reach out to me. And that's in the bio. You can find the products I'm working on. So mm -hmm. uh, it's twitter.com slash my full name, which is kind of long. Uh, it's Mark Goldberger. It's probably best to look up in the show notes, I think. Or if you go to uh, <laughs> twitter.com slash beta list, I think my name is in the bio there. So you can click through and then you can find me that way, maybe. Sure, you have a great Medium blog. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I don't write a lot. Uh, you should. You should totally should. would love to hear more. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Like, maybe... Uh, Yeah, maybe I should. Next year. It's, a, I'm going. it's one of my... Uh, oh no, I shouldn't commit to anything I don't want to do necessarily. I don't right. know. Maybe I'll start that. writing more next year. Maybe not. <laughs> All right, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your insight. And I hope it will make things easier for our listeners who are just starting out with their new products. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help other people discover this podcast.